Do any of you remember how much your mom was always so concerned about the way you dressed, the way that you looked before you left the house? Why did she always have something to say about whether your shirt was tucked in for school or the dress you picked out for church maybe or whether your outfit matched on a Saturday afternoon even if you were just going to the grocery store and you couldn't even try to go out and play in the snow if you weren't dressed like a full-on Eskimo. My mom would always do the thing. You see it sometimes now on Facebook now where you'd wrap your feet in empty bread bags and all these things which never kept water off your feet. But Why did it matter so much to so many a mom that we look fit and proper and fit together? And you know the answer. For one thing, it's because the clothes we wear are more than just a mere utility. More is happening than just covering us or keeping us warm. It's about how we're presenting ourselves and our parents, if you will, to a watching world. Moms and dads, I think, understand that how we carry ourselves communicates certain things to those around us, significant things sometimes to those around us. It sends a message about who we are, whether we intend to do that with our clothing or not. You, there are running jokes nowadays about people wearing their pajamas to Walmart. You know, pajama pants to Walmart. There was a time when you used your pajamas to sleep in them. Now you shop in them and whatever else you want to do. It sends a message about about us. And again, like I said, whether we want it to or not, what we wear does that. Who we aim to be, where we come from, and even how well we're loved to some people that are watching us. And hopefully every parent wants the world to know that their child is loved, Right? That's why it's not unheard of at the age of 48 to get a sweater from your mom for Christmas, right? Something that she thinks you might look nice in at work or for your next meeting or whatever it is. When my mom, whenever my mom happens to come on a Sunday and visit, if my parents visit, my mom always uh, compliments my suit or my tie. You know, she'll touch my tie and say, you look very nice today. That's, I think, very important to moms in particular. The story of Joseph in the Bible is filled with references to clothing. In every major movement of this amazing story in Genesis, there is some mention at every turn of what Joseph is wearing. If you've never, or if you've ever noticed this before, it's an integral part of the story. None is more memorable of Jacob's outfits than his coat of many colors, as we call it in our translations in verse 3 of this text. But what Joseph is given by his father Jacob speaks about what God gives to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father has dressed us in robes that proclaim to the world that we are His forever. Let me pray. Father, I thank You for this passage. I thank You for all that You revealed to us in Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would help us to fix our minds on what Christ has done for us, who He is, what we have what we possess, what we wear because of Him, and what this proclaims to the world about You, our Father, and how You love us, Father. I pray that You would help us to hear and to believe. Help me to speak clearly. Help everyone to receive Your Word this day. I ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just the first four verses here of Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. 
And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Joseph was not liked by his brothers for at least two reasons that we see clearly or implied maybe in the text. First of all, Joseph was a tattletale in verse 2. If you have siblings, one of them is probably the designated tattletale and you all hate that sibling for it. And two, their father clearly favored him. The text even says this above the others and loved him more than the others in verse 3. We don't actually know for sure that this was a coat of many colors. That's how it's translated. But the the Hebrew here can kind of go in a couple of different directions. It doesn't really matter. The What's clear is that the coat was extravagant. It was luxurious. It was highly valuable. Kids today would have called it extra if you've ever heard kids use this term. Maybe this only happens, and I don't mean it in a coy way, but I have three teenage girls and a preteen, and they use the word extra. Uh, if you, uh, they, they talk, I'm very educated and schooled in the parlance of today's youth because of my kids. So um, they talk about kids being extra. If you dress up too much for something, they say that's, that's extra. Right? So this coat of many colors was extra. It was so nice that it sent a clear message that Joseph was special among his siblings. He was prized and treasured, even favored by his father above all the others. And Israel, that is Jacob, his father, wanted everybody to know that that was the case with Joseph. And the mentions of Jacob's clothing continue in this story. When he gets sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, who must have really hated him, he finds favor with some Ishmaelite traders only to then uh, be wooed and pursued and assaulted in one sense by the wife of one of Pharaoh's prominent soldiers when he refuses her advances. Potiphar's wife lays hold of his outer garment, the text says, but Joseph flees. So Potiphar's wife uh, has his coat, but thankfully Joseph still has his character. Nonetheless, Joseph is falsely accused of wrongdoing for this and tossed in jail. But his ability to interpret dreams, the text tells us he has, wins him a chance at redemption. Pulled out of prison, what does the text say? He's given a shave, a haircut, and with another mention of his wardrobe, he's given a fresh set of clothes. So he appears before Pharaoh, a new man. He's ready to become Pharaoh's confidant, and he does. Joseph rises to power, and what does the text tell us? Pharaoh places a signet ring on his hand and arrays him in the finest of linen. Now, it's not just his father who's dressed Joseph in something that says, this man is special. This time, it's the king of Egypt. In the beginning of his story, it was just his brothers that took note of how extravagant Joseph's robe was. Now, it's the whole country of Egypt and the surrounding people that see Joseph all decked out in glory. But there's still more. And this is really the best part. Later, after finally making peace with his brothers, revealing his identity as the second in command of Pharaoh, and more importantly, after refusing to treat them as their sins against him deserved, Joseph turned the tables. And instead of punishing the ones who had sought to destroy him, he chooses to bless them. He saves them from famine. He showers them with gifts. The book of Genesis ends the story of Joseph's Kindness to his brothers 
by telling us in chapter 45, verse 22, to each and all of his brothers, he gave a change of clothes. There it is again, the mention of clothing in this story. Joseph gives to his brothers, who, by the way, remember, had rejected him, tried to kill him, trafficked him into the hands of strangers who told their father he was dead. He gave them brand new clothing. That's much more in their context than just a practical gift. You need better clothes. It's it's something symbolic and powerful, this present of clothes to them. Joseph gives them fresh, clean clothes for a new beginning as his brothers. These new clothes are a sign of a relationship restored. Now, what does any of that have to do with Jesus, with Advent, with preparing us for Christmas? I imagine you can probably see it. Joseph's story, especially all the costume changes, points us straight to Christ. It points us to the journey that Jesus will undertake in exile, if you will, for us in His incarnation, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. You see, Jesus is the Son that the Father loves as His only begotten. And the Father Himself will tell us this over and over again. At the moment of Jesus' birth, when angels fill the sky saying, Glory to God in the highest, Luke 2.14. At His baptism, when the voice of God thunders from heaven with the words, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 But this Son's favored status, along with all the things that Jesus will say and the miracles He will perform, will anger His brothers also and make them hate Him. And His own people will reject Him and seek to destroy Him. He will eventually be stripped naked. And His garments will be held onto and torn and fought over as lots are cast for them. At the cross, they're arguing over His clothes. They will try to snuff Him out completely, throw Him in the pit of death. But then like Joseph so many years before Him, Jesus will rise up from the pit. And when He does, He is wrapped in glory. He is covered in even more power and beauty than before. He will be wielding the authority of the highest office in the land and will be holding the entire world in His hand. But there's more. And this is the part that ought to move us. Like Joseph, Jesus will feed and clothe His enemies. He will bless them extravagantly even though they had betrayed Him and rejected Him and denied Him and even crucified Him. But He'll give His enemies much more than food in a famine and a new pair of pants to all those who believe in Him and are baptized into His death and resurrection. He will give the food of eternal forgiveness for every sin against God to feast on forever. And He will cover us in righteousness and goodness which wraps around us like a long flowing robe that envelops us entirely as we stand before the Father. He gives us new clothes for a new relationship as forgiven brothers and sisters. Proclaiming to the world that He loves us and that we are highly favored by God. Hebrews 2, 10-12 For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. 
That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Joseph's story, which points to Jesus' story, is not just about a father's love for his son. That story, in light of Christ, is ultimately about God's love for every disobedient kid he has. And the lengths to which he will go to wrap us all in undeserved, extravagant coats of mercy and grace. As moms and dads, we worry for all kinds of reasons about what our kids wear. I can't believe that I've come to the point in my life where I have a son who refuses to wear a coat. That was me. Like, I thought that was a cliche. Carmine will not, like last night, when it's cold, he's going to his buddy's house. They're working on this science fair project. It's cold and windy and rainy, and he doesn't even bring a coat. Like you, you, I, I've told you the story about my coat with my dad. I think I told that on a Sunday night. I don't know if I told it on Sunday morning. So one of the core memories I have, so if you've heard it before, I apologize. If not, just let me tell it to you. I flat out refused to wear a coat. I was in the ninth grade and infuriated my parents. And now I, I look back, I understand, I think, more of it. Um, I thought at the time it was just this weird thing that they wanted you to wear a coat, right? I didn't understand it. Now I understand that if you are a child who leaves the house without a coat in the dead of winter, not only do people think you're a cuckoo, they think your parents are bad parents because they don't put you in a coat. When in fact the parents might not have anything to do with it, right? They just, so, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, but I, I wouldn't wear a coat. And one day I got home from school and my dad said, listen, since you won't wear a coat, I have a special surprise for you tomorrow morning. I completely forgot about it, didn't think anything of it. The next day, my dad gets me up for school. He says, son, since you flat out refuse to wear a coat, no matter how many times I tell you to wear a coat, I'm going to give you a very special coat. Now, this is the opposite of Joseph and his dad and the coat of many colors. All right. My dad brings out, I don't know where he found it, a coat that so helped me had to have been for deep sea diving during the First World War. There's no question. It was this long, pleather, I didn't say leather, I said pleather, giant, it was, it was too big for everybody in my house to wear it at the same time. It was massive. It came all the way down to my ankles and covered most of my feet. It, it, it zipped hard. I mean, it was like an iron zip. It was, it was insane. It was the most embarrassing, loud, just ridiculous. You could hardly move it. And my dad said, I'm going to follow you all the way to school to make sure you don't take that off. And he did. My friends thought that was the best thing ever. And, and I finally get into school. I find a way to cram it in my locker. I think it won't fit in my locker. I had to carry that around all day with my books. Still refused to wear it. But I knew coming home I had to put it on because my dad was going to, you know, be watching. And, and I thought he was. I, I never saw him on the way home, but I was sure he was watching. But he wasn't. I got home. I, I, I'm, I remember this. I'm walking up on the house there on 9th Street, on the opposite side of the road, and I see my dad pull into the parking space in front of the house, the gravel. He gets out of the car. I'm getting closer. He has a bag from Sears. This is when Sears was still a thing. My dad bought me a new coat. Now, here's the thing. We did not have the money for my dad to buy me a new coat. We really didn't. And he bought me one. I don't, I don't know why this gets to me to this day. 
I was talking to my dad about it recently. He didn't really remember it. I remember it. Because what was, he had a rebellious boy who wouldn't wear a coat. I didn't like my coat. I didn't want to wear it. It was a cheapo coat, right? That was what my parents could afford. What does my dad do in, in light of that? Blesses me by, that's grace. That's, that's what that was. That's grace. Now, he made me feel it. He wanted me to get the point, right? But he bought me a coat. He bought me the best coat I'd ever had. It was black. It had neon green and purple on it, which neon was a big deal in the early 90s. It was really cool if you had neon. I don't know how we, he got me this coat, but it was warm. I loved it. I wore it all the time. That, in, in my mind, that story has come back again and again and again as a picture of God's grace. I don't deserve a new coat in that story. Wear what we gave you, son. Stay warm, right? My parents just wanted me to be warm. They didn't want me to get sick. They didn't want me to not have a coat. They probably didn't want to look like they didn't care about me, right? And my dad, in pure kindness, because he's my dad, buys me this coat. I will never forget that, ever. I remember I was devastated when I had a pen in it. A couple of years. I had it for like the first two, three years of high school. And a pen I had in my pocket busted in it and ink poured out and ruined the entire inside of it. But I love that coat. I love that coat. I'll never forget my dad doing that for me. Right? Just here's some kindness because I don't want you to be cold even though you're kind of an idiot, son. Right? I mean, that's pure kindness from a dad to his son. I'm, I'm 48 now. I was, what, 14 at the time? I remember everything about it the love and grace and mercy of my dad. It's an amazing thing. And if my dad, who would willingly admit to you, as Jesus says of earthly fathers, was evil and knows how to do something that kind for his son, just imagine for a moment what your heavenly father has undertaken to clothe you with his grace and his mercy in spite of what he knows about us. In spite of the fact that we not only don't deserve a new coat, but deserve condemnation. The same is true in that moment about my dad with our Heavenly Father. In Jesus Christ, we are no longer clothed in sin and shame, but are called to His court and clothed in spectacular robes that we do not deserve and did not earn. We are given peace with God. It'd be amazing enough if God simply paid our debt for us, granted us His righteousness in a purely forensic way, so that mathematically, so that the accounting works, it's all settled, and then sent us on our way. But that's not all He does. He makes us His own beloved children. He doesn't merely settle a bill for us. He invites us in and gives us a seat at His table and serves us like He's honored to have us in His family. He treats us like guests of honor. Of honor. Knowing what we are. In spite of all our ongoing struggles with sin and our weaknesses and our own personal liabilities, Jesus is not ashamed to call us His brothers. He owns us to the world. That's mine. That's 
my younger brother. God says, that's my son. That's my beloved child. We're given robes which declare to anyone who cares enough to take note that we are beloved. We are incredibly loved by God. We have a story. How did you get that coat? Well, let me tell you about my father. Did you know this morning, believer? doesn't matter what kind of week you've had or year you've had or life you've had. Did you know that Jesus is not ashamed of you? Do you know that? He knows what you do. He knows what you think. He's not ashamed of you. That's how good the code is. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? How does one get all the advantages of the firstborn when we are not the firstborn? But these wild olive branches, Paul says in Romans 11, that have been grafted in by God's mercy to the one true vine. We're dressed like this because in Christ, all that God gives to Him is ours also. Romans 8, 15-17, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and the children then heirs, heirs of God in order that, or heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That's all your suffering is. It's not in a vacuum and it's not a statement to the world about how disappointed God is with you and how poorly you've made your choices. God is identifying you in your suffering with His Son so that we are linked to Christ more deeply than we would be without it. God sees us in Christ. He doesn't see us standing alone. He doesn't see us on our own merit or even with our own testimony or our own works. He doesn't see us just like that. He sees us in Christ. We have put on Christ the Apostle Peter says, what began with Joseph has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. God is clothing His kids. Even and especially the worst of His kids. For they also are highly favored in a truly desirable style. Salvation. And just like our moms might say when she sees us in a tie, that looks good on you, she says. That looks good on you. Yes and amen. Peace with God in Christ.